Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hacker Lounge. I'm Bram. I'm Yash. And today we have a very special guest. Today we have on Ken Aqua. Ken is building the future of causal inference infrastructure. Previously, he worked at Visa, NASDAQ, Google, and Microsoft Research. He recently graduated from MIT with a BS in computer science and a BS in mathematical economics. He's also one of the funniest people I follow on Twitter. You can find his handle in the podcast description. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Hacker Lounge, Ken. Great to have you here. Woo! Here. Welcome to the Hacker Lounge, Ken. How's it going? How are you doing? Good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Today was a really chill day. I, I recently moved out to Austin. Uh, yeah. So I'm getting like getting an understanding of the Austin tech scene. Um, uh, yeah. Going on runs, which is really nice because I'm down south. Uh, it's warm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, life is as good as it can be. Um, yeah. Do you like Austin? I feel like Austin has definitely been on the rise recently. Obviously on Twitter, people have been kind of going to battle for in number of tech cities, whether it's Miami or SF or Austin, um, New York sometimes makes an, it's an appearance. What about Austin to you is, is intriguing or what, what kind of captured your attention? There's hill country so to speak which is like these like beautiful like plains where you can go and and um you can like drive out to a lot of these places and then you can see like like a lot of these like very beautiful landscapes and a lot of great hikes to go and see and um of course i just like the weather and of course i just like that it was cheaper than some of our other options like going to la for the winter first of all covid um it's much worse there and the second of all um it's it could be way more expensive to like stay for mm-hmm. a few months um hawaii is another option that people are taking I don't, I don't have that in my budget um so austin seems like a good place where um you could be sort of remote also which is something that, that is good to have nowadays and um and there's a lot of beautiful stuff to see and it was nice and warm um, so it was all around uh, winter, uh, the season we could go to. Nice, nice. When did you move in? Is it recent? Two weeks ago. Yeah. Nice. And there is like an interesting amount of check boxes that I feel when when people make moving decisions, and they're like, as a lot of it is is a little bit of a leap of faith. You know what I mean? Uh, our friend Yash here, he's Canadian, so you know I think a lot of kind of conversation that, that we've had in the past is kind of like the idea of, of coming to SF and kind of like the idea of, of what these cities look like for me, you know, I was in Rochester, New York, but I had never been to New York city and I had all these fascinations and dreams and ideas of what New York meant from what I had heard from other people, but I never really got to experience it until I had lived in New York city for four years. So, and the reality sometimes is, is different. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that you're in, you found Austin to to live up to the things that you you you've kind of hypothesized would be pros about Austin. That's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, yeah, so it lives up to to what it is so far. Um, yeah, of course, I don't get don't get to see, so I don't get to an understanding of the tech scene, so to speak. Um, but um, hopefully, that will come, and then maybe I can come back when coronavirus is as bad. Um, but yeah, do you think that? SF is still going to be the place to be once like 
all this COVID stuff ends or is it is like all this like decentralizing decentralizing of the tech scene like here to stay across all of these different cities for the long run? Well, yeah, it depends, I guess, of like what you mean by the place to be. So the place to be an engineer, absolutely not. Um, like, like if you want to be a high-paid engineer, you can definitely go anywhere. The place to be a founder, even then, maybe not, because one of their big reasons you need to be an SF to be a founder was because that's where all the engineers were. But if the engineers are distributed all over the world, um, I, like, it, it becomes less necessary. Um, but then the other reason to be, you need to be an SF, because that's where all the VCs were. And, um, and, and, and so, so people, some people do say to be a VC is like only the only like real reason that you need to stay in SF because um, like, I mean, at the end of the day, you can build anywhere, but what's valuable is the network. And as you go from that ladder of engineer to founder to VC, your network becomes more and more important. And um, SF as has this incumbent effect of they have large networks. So in order for anyone to surpass that, the SF network has to deteriorate greatly and their network has to, has to come up like significantly. And, and I don't see, and I don't see that happening like fully. I mean, again, it's going to happen more in other places, but it's, but if you're, but if you're going to say, is there, what, what's the one place where most of the um, tech, like, uh, yeah, like second time founders or, or early stage VCs are, I think, I do still think it will probably be SF for a while. Um, maybe Miami. So they're all, all of these are trying to like move to Miami together. Um, so like focusing on that specific thing, um, like uh, this like investing thing. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm not the first to ask. So I'm what, 22, just came out of college. I'm just trying to guess myself and figure out what's the best place. Um, yeah. I mean, I you have, have two experience with me. I'm turning 20 in two days. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm the boomer in the room. I'm, 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 I'm 27, but I have two follow-up questions from that because I do think that what you said was was pretty interesting about network effects and climbing the ladder and moving towards SF. So answer in whichever order you prefer. The first, do you think that 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 ladder that you mentioned of engineer to manager to VC or or founder, I suppose, kind of is a magnet that's slowly pulling people towards SF to kind of get towards that network? And the second question, which is pseudo related, but also slightly unrelated, what is the critical mass of a network for a city to become valuable and almost in competition with SF, I suppose? Yeah, I, I do think um, Bill Gurley said this today. Um, he said that the, the, in order to be in competition, you need three $10 billion companies. Um, so I think NYC just got this, and this is a very high bar. Ten million dollar company, ten million dollar tech company is, is huge. Um, NYC just got this. Um, with I mean I don't know. I mean yeah, I don't even know which ones like people are thinking about, but I mean the ones I know are probably infrastructure companies like DigitalOcean and Datadog, and um, and then LA has this, and SF has this, um, and. And they think because because there's like this thesis of 
not only is the company and the VCs who like make money off the company, but also like the engineers that work at the company then go on and find their own company. And you have an ecosystem, um, right? Um, so that that's like, I mean, that's, that's, that was his way of quantifying. Again, yeah, I don't know if that's, if that's right, if that's too much or that's too little. Um, but but, but uh, my sense is that you need all three, um, which is like you need engineers, like, like a large mass of engineers, you need a large mass of founders, you need large mass of VCs. Like one thing, one reason that I'm, and I don't know, I don't know if it's gonna be a joke, like I'm not as bullish on Miami and I'm not seeing it click immediately is this is where all the VCs are moving and and then maybe even a few founders but this is not like when I'm talking to I just graduated school so I'm like very much in this mindset of okay where am I going to move when, when I'm talking about the people who just graduated school they're not like yeah let's go to Miami like you, you, that just doesn't happen like like first of all you need a you need a job to go to um, so you need like there to be already a big scene. The biggest tech company in Miami is Chewy, um, the pet uh, <laughs> the pet sales company. So, um, so so there so there needs to be this like this, this like place where a lot of engineers are. There, there needs to be a lot of engineering jobs for engineers to move there for an ecosystem, which is where where all of these groups are symbiotically helping each other to actually happen and. Um, and you only really see that in a few places. Um, Austin is one of them because um, there are a lot of like old guard um, tech companies like IBM is here. And um, a lot of the big tech companies have offices here. Uh, so um, people do see like, this is a place where something like that could happen. Um, I was really interested in reading your blog, which we will link below about causal inference and um, I feel like that's a relatively complex subject that I think you do a really great job of boiling down to its essence. I think our viewers would love to know um, what exactly it is or like a brief intro to it that you could maybe provide really quickly or to you just your work in general. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so causal inference particularly is like, um, yeah, this idea that a lot of the data science and a lot of the inference going on that, that people do um, when they're like trying to answer questions um, kind of works in like on these like uh, correlational relationships. So you're able to predict that um, tomorrow it's going to rain because you have some correlation relationship between um, the, the, the air pressure today and rain tomorrow, right? So um, you don't, so uh, which is very helpful, right? But at the end of the day, you're not predicting what will cause the rain tomorrow. You're not saying something concretely will cause the rain tomorrow. You need like a higher level of statistics. And by higher level, I mean like a more rigorous um, look at the statistics in order to actually prove that concept out. So causal inference is just the version of inference that 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 has like these requirements uh, for you to think like causally about um, particular questions. So um, I think the example I use is um, what's it called? Uh, drowning an ice cream. Um, so uh, like if you look in Spain, like the drownings are happening like um, 
like very strongly correlated with the amount of ice cream that people are eating. Um, and and you see like the graphs, like they, they map like almost one to one. And like, and of course the reason is just because um, people are eating a lot of ice cream in the summer and people are swimming a lot in the summer. And so they're drowning a lot in the summer, but these things aren't related at all. So then how do you disentangle that? And how do you find like, like, like how do you find, okay, then, um, okay, what is actually, what is actually like the causal relationship and what is not a causal relationship? Um, what's happening in this drowning and ice cream thing is like, there's like this third variable temperature that's impacting both that is missing from our analysis. How do we like make sure, I mean, that's an obvious one, right? Because because no one really thinks those things are related, but um, in a lot of these less obvious scenarios, when you're trying to either prove or disprove that something causes something else, like how do you think about that? Um, and how can you do this, this thinking at scale? Um, a lot of these like big data questions that are common in technology. That's interesting. I think that Hey, that's the first time I've ever heard of, of the field in such a deep dive. I, I have a very brief background with statistics in college, um, but, but hearing all of the different kind of factors that come into these experiments and the type of forethought and cleverness and the kind of different approaches that, that, that people can take to kind of conduct good experiments is really interesting. So to follow that, you talked a lot about kind of like statistics and kind of like statistics helping build a better society, whether that's through kind of um, economic outcomes for, for individuals, uh, better treatments, um, medical treatments, better, uh, you know, uh, kind of just lives, I suppose, for, for, for members of the society. How does causal inference from looking back at an event and kind of dictating like the cause, how does that help us create better policies going forward in the future? Specifically, if you want to answer this kind of like involving, you know, machine learning, but more broadly, just kind of like making better stuff for people to have and, and, and live with. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is a good question. Um, yeah, so, so there's two uh, main, um, yeah, there, yeah, there's two main veins. Um, I was trying to answer that question. Um, the first is, um, yeah, I mean, again, like these things come from medicine and, and economics. Um, they're they're answering questions about like, especially economics, they're answering questions about like particular policies, like minimum wage is a really big one. Um, like one of the other big, uh, really cool ex econometrics ex experiments is like econometrics is is like basically causal inference, but causal inference is just like a wider umbrella. Econometrics is basically statistics for economics. Um, it's like this like minimum wage thing that, that, that is a new debate that's coming up because Biden's considering whether or not um, the, the Biden team is considering whether or not they want to try to roll out a $15 minimum wage for every American um, after an after platform, after coming into the presidency. Um, like understanding, I mean, understanding like minimum wage has an effect on employment, minimum wage has an effect on prices, understanding like 
how great is that effect? Um, like like uh, separating that out from, oh, does this, this increase prices because of minimum wage or is this just part of the normal like real inflation of prices that, that happens every year? Um, and 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 uh, and and, effect, and and like trying to like maximize like the welfare of like an entire group of people um, based on like a particular intervention you want to make like is such a deeply important question like it it's like the it's like the 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 crux of every decision like you need to make you need to, to understand like what is going to be the effect of whatever change I make um, that that's going to uh, affect all of these people. Um, so in, in that in that sense, yeah, I mean it's just like so crucially important and almost necessary and almost underutilized in, in that um, every time you make a decision about anything, you need to like fully understand like like what are the ramifications of it. And I, I think college reference provides you with that um, lens. Um, and then in terms of making stuff, um, I, I I mean, I, I honestly I mean, I think it does help. I mean, okay, so what it does in terms of like like making in sort of like in sort of in terms of like spurning up enterprise, causal um, inference is very helpful in a lot of like monetization questions. Like a lot of like the monetization teams that a lot of companies think about. Um, how do we get people to stay on the site more? How do people how do we get people to click on ads more? How do we sell? people things more how do we um what's it called uh how, yeah how, how do we like increase um the amount of um spend that we have in our marketplace like two years down two months down the line four months down the line um like what actions can we take in order to cause like these positive benefits i don't know how that makes life better um to be completely honest um it makes these companies do better and maybe these companies doing better makes lives better because I mean a lot of these companies seem to like make lives better in some sense I mean I don't again I don't have like the full grand narrative of like if that sh is a strictly better outcome for um Facebook be able to sell you something like five times better but this is the kind of thing that causal inference can do um so yeah depending on your outlook on that uh depends on whether or not you think that answers the question but that is just like something that causal inference does that like is interacting with our daily lives so obviously causal inference it when you explain it it makes a lot of sense that we should be using it for sort of these large-scale problems but as a process itself, it sounds like a really daunting task to try to find these unexplored variables and to take them into account. And so when kind of implementing it in practice, what does that process look like? And how much of it has been systematically defined, like you do XXX steps, and then you get the variables that you desire, versus like, uh, kind of creative out of the box thinking, and you kind of have to figure out a new method every time to accomplish certain things. We use that process um, that uh, like using the birth date to try and identify um, how long someone stays in school um, in order to say, okay, what's going to be the effect of how long someone stays in school on the actual, out on the actual amount of money that they make over their lifetime. That's called instrumental variables. And, and, and identifying these like instrumental variables in these national experiments, um, these are often like, yeah, really cool, creative um 
uh, like methods in order of to identify um, these effects, but it, it often can be done um, automatically or rather um, with given like a large set of variables, you can um, try to identify, okay, which variables um, might have, uh, might have an effect on um, the treatment, the treatment variable might have an, like, just like when you're born has an effect on how many, um, on, on how much you go to school, but doesn't really have an effect on the outcome variable when you're born, doesn't really have an effect on um, how long, how much money you make over your entire career. So you can try, there, there are there, there's algorithms like deep IV, double ML, um, which um, I can maybe like, I don't know, put that information in the show notes or I haven't gotten a chance to write about a few of these, um, but there are some really good resources to learn more about them, but you can like automatically identify, okay, what would be a good instrumental variable um, in order to complete this process? What would be a good way to estimate, um, what's it called? What would be a good way to estimate a, uh, the, yeah, the, the causal effect and um, like partial out kind of any unobserved variables that affect both your explanatory or outcome that affect both how much you stay in school and um, how much money you make over your career, uh, like without um, like actually going to the nitty gritty of identifying like what these unobserved variables might be. Um, and, and the stuff that I write about like is kind of like primarily in this lens of there are all these variables that could affect, um, that could have this effect on, uh, on these two variables. And there are all these variables that you can maybe use as a way to identify what the true effect is and how can we maximize the weights that we put on the ones that can be used for a true effect and minimize weights that are put on the ones that, um, that uh, are merely like correlational effects in order to try and I, in order to try to like um, solve for particular causal effects um, to really quantify like what is the average like um, change uh, that happens to your outcome variable based on um, whatever intervention you do. Interesting. I guess to kind of transition a little bit. So I, I think your work on causal inference is really interesting, but another component of kind of where we try to take the pod is kind of just like talking about you in general as like a person, like, and so I'd be curious to know, like, how's life going in Austin? I know you mentioned talking about running before, like what, what, what does a typical day in Ken's life look like? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I actually just sprained my ankle. So I'm running a lot less right now, but um I, I ran track in school, so this is something I, I always wanted to like keep up with. Um, so I try to run, or I, yeah, I try to run every morning um, before I start work. I work on the West Coast, which is like it's just um, an interesting like um, window into like like given that everyone has to be remote now, um, what kind of lifestyles that that enables. Um, so I work on the West Coast, um, but I, I lived on the East Coast for, I guess, as long as I've been working. And then, and now I work out of Austin. And then, so I, I get time in the morning, basically, 
to run and then start work before other people um, start work. And then I work and then I, um, because I'm living with some friends, I spend time, I like to spend time cooking um, for, for like with my, with my friends that I'm living with and, and that's it. I mean, I have dinner together and that's pretty much it. I, I do spend a lot of time working and I am trying to spend more time writing. Um, but that's like mainly what I, what the common day looks like for me. Yeah. As someone in technology, I think you, you brought up a great point about like the idea of doing other things. I think sometimes tech can be a bit all consuming because there's so much going on. You know what I mean? It's always moving so quickly. You think you understand something and then you wake up tomorrow and you're like, oh, never mind. I don't understand anything. I have to start from scratch. In your opinion, what is the way, not the way, a way, your way maybe of kind of time management uh, and still pushing your career goals forward of causal inference and, and the work that you do? Yeah um so like what like how do I manage my time um effectively yeah I think it's a bit trickier than people like you know think time management's always like a tricky subject so I love yeah no I mean and I always feel like I can't get better at this um I am I yeah I mean I am always I, I I don't know. I, I do think like like the fact that I have this routine of um, exercising in the morning, dinner that I schedule. I start I have a schedule time to start cooking and I have a time to start eating um, every night. Um, really helps me um, like say okay, I have a set amount of time during the day that I need to like get stuff done. If I need to write or if I feel like I'm behind my writing and I haven't gotten the opportunity I'll ultimately schedule like okay this will be four hours that I'll spend writing and then whatever I get done I get done but I, I really put in the effort for these particular four hours like on a weekend or maybe in maybe in the morning after my run um like uh that's like yeah mainly what I think about but I mean honestly it does get um quite like it, it I, I, I I do think it is like hard and that's fine in a sense like like uh, especially I, I work at kind of a startup and the work can be um highly variable right changes from day to day from week to week and then also um they're like they're great people to meet um such as such as uh yourselves and I spend a lot of time um like just like during the week meeting people um and uh and and that kind of eats up my time so I do have to be very cautious about making sure that I'm exploring my career but at the same time meeting people is part of my career goals networking like as I said is like one of like the most powerful things you can do in tech um so uh I I I have scheduled time and I really try to hunker down when there's like something really passionate about and I and I want to get pen to paper but um Honestly, sometimes like I fail and I am just kind of okay with it. Um, I am just okay with, uh, with, with, uh, yeah, spending more time talking with someone than maybe I intended to. Um, because, uh, I don't know, I, I do feel like sometimes the serendipity works in my favor. And sometimes like I'm in a flow and writing and I'm writing for longer than I expected to and so on and so forth. I think something interesting you brought up is about like the idea of meeting people. And um, 
I, Bram can attest to this. You have, and I'll put it in the course notes, you have one of my favorite accounts on Twitter. Like, I just think sometimes you're like absolutely hilarious. And I send Bram, I send Bram your tweets like pretty often. And I, I was, I was curious to know, you know, having what I would consider to be like a pretty relatively large Twitter following, how does that kind of affect your career? Like what sort of opportunities does that open up to you? Does it make it easier to meet new people? Um, and also how did you, how did you, um, how do you manage Twitter with kind of like your life in general? Yeah. So, um, cause this, <laughs> it's, yeah, the causal inference stuff. I, when we got sent home from school in March, I was, I had worked at Microsoft working on causal inference stuff and I had started and I had, and had like really got into a flow. And I was actually like producing like, yeah, once a week, like these very long essays that like had like all these like D3 animations in them. But, um, but yeah, unfortunately um, when I started work, it slowed down quite a bit. So, so, so talking about the Twitter stuff, um, how I started, and again, yeah, so when it was March, I got sent home, I spent a lot of time in front of my computer because I was writing all the time. Like basically I considered like writing my full-time job. Um, and I, uh, and because I was also just like thinking about um, like communicating things with people, I was just also I like, guess tweeting a lot and like just being on Twitter a lot. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, at, at, at first, it was just kind of jokes and just I just had this thing where I would see things and they were just like so I'd see things in tactically and they were so funny to me and um and like I feel like and, and I feel like you need to verbalize like why it was so funny to me and then I just like and then you just kind of do this thing where you just like exaggerate like the actual uh, like, like the actual event uh, the actual circumstance and then um and then it yeah and then people say oh yeah that that is so funny like oh my god like like that, that's such good satire or whatever but like to me it was just like like this like oftentimes i'll read things we'll just start laughing and people are saying like please seriously but um but yeah yeah so for that reason i mean that's like mainly like just, I, I don't know how i thought about it like, it's in the start and then and then maybe a little bit later i was like i had this like i mean i was getting this platform it's like I had this responsibility and I was like oh no should I like have a purpose with what I say like should I like only say something probably was adding to a conversation should I like I don't know be, yeah be more like respectful of my platform of like like um making sure like I'm yeah just adding to conversations not like like uh make adding like adding positive things to this course is not negative things like um actually like helping move conversations forward um and then I like kind of went in that strain for a little bit but now it's like it's kind of like a mix because I'm, I'm I am tweeting much less because I'm working um much more um so so it, it is it is kind of just a mix of of just stuff I find funny and then also like things that like I do want to say and do think are valuable in some sense. Um, but this is, so I'm going backwards as you answer your three questions backwards and then when I started, I didn't even answer a question at all, but, but um, so to go back um, like job opportunities and meeting people, um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's huge. Um, yeah, I, I have like met, pe met people who, um, who have like offered me to interview. I've been offered jobs like it, just off of Twitter and, and they're not jobs to be a social media manager. They're jobs related directly to my work on causal inference. And, um, 
and they're yeah and they're um and 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 it's like been a really good experience from that lens then yeah more so I've gotten to meet like yeah maybe hundreds of people um out of my followers out of of people who I follow who I respect quite a bit um and uh and that's been a really great experience like on on its own and um and like as as I was saying about when we were talking about SF and Austin Miami in the beginning like like these networks are so 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 powerful and as everyone has had to like just basically live online because of quarantine Twitter has become like this like social club almost um and it's come to replace um a lot of these like in city places where where people used to communicate a lot and and i really like focus on taking advantage of that um but yeah i focus on taking advantage i think part of my what makes me unique um because i mean is that i didn't like I didn't come to tech I, I there I feel like there are people a lot of people who come to tech Twitter to network right to, to come to Twitter like LinkedIn and that's fine but um but what makes me unique and what um what's it called why I think I've had success is that that's not really like my mo almost like I like I mainly like I mainly don't even follow tech people. I mainly just follow like weird Twitter people who are just like who are just like already posting on movies or whatever. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but like but uh, what what are they saying? But but uh, what's what's it called? But 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 there is definitely like this value in um, like really like leveraging the social networks that you can make on Twitter. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah, the reason I bring it up is like when I, when I, when I say that, I feel like, I feel like I'm like giving people the advice to like, I don't know, like, yeah, just treat Twitter like LinkedIn. No, don't you like LinkedIn, but treat Twitter like, like a party where you can meet a lot of people who might be helpful for your career, but at the same time, you do want to have fun on the website or else it, I don't know, it becomes like not a social media website and like like a Salesforce software solution or something like like a like a very business marketing kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think that we're starting to see a lot of that with younger people in tech, specifically too. You know, I think with the generator, the generator, the generation that created these tools, almost the the, the Zuckerbergs and Jack Dorseys and stuff. You don't really see them a lot on social media. You know, I think that it's the the generation of tech leaders that directly follows that have been spending a lot of time on these platforms and kind of leveraging it as maybe network 2.0. And I guess kind of like going forward, because I like to make stuff, you know what I mean? A a big part of what I like to do is just play around with different creative coding tools and then post stuff on Twitter sometimes, you know what I mean? When I, when I get around to it, but one thing that I've, I've struggled with in the past is the kind of balance between content creation as an art form, as the actual building, and content creation as the intentionality of building your network and finding people who are like you. So when you're doing this writing, this deep writing for, for, for causal inference, 
um, also, you know, doing your, your job, like you said, the work with Microsoft and stuff like that as well. And kind of just being funny on Twitter. What's the kind of, maybe not strategy, but what kind of have you learned by building these different kind of pipelines? What's the overlap? What's the distinctions between them and what makes them interesting? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if my job where I currently I haven't mentioned, um, maybe I will mention because I don't, uh, what's it called, talk about it. I don't, don't talk about it on Twitter at all. Um, I don't know if my job would like it if I compared it to Twitter, my Twitter presence. Um, it's not, I mean, again, you can, anyone can find it by going to my LinkedIn, but I um, But um, I mean, I can, t- I can talk about writing and on Twitter and writing on causal inference on my data science blog. It is, it is kind of like, yeah, like thinking about, I guess, like the basis of who your audience is, like where they're coming from, like, like what, what prior knowledge they have, um, where you're starting with. Um, like often, like my blog, my data science blog is, is a curriculum. Is usually how I talk about it, and usually, and and how I have it structured. Like the first is very simple. There's no math in the first few blog posts, and I introduce some math, and I build on top of that math. And then I'm like, I'm like, like the goal is to like teach people um, how to like use these methods precisely. And very similarly on Twitter, I do feel like. I'm thinking about, okay, who are my followers? Like, like what do they think? Like, what, what do they, how do they see the world? Um, let me introduce them to like, I don't know, kind of how I grow a little bit in a way that doesn't challenge like what they think too much. And then, and then slowly like build on that. And, um, and yeah, build on that and like, like try to like, I don't know, just like, um, yeah, just like, yeah. I, I kind of just like like make people think about like what their worldview is and um, trying to like challenge like a, what a lot of these like dominant narratives that I see in tech all the time, um, like slowly, but then sometimes all at once, um, all through jokes basically, because what you find that people aren't going to listen seriously to a 22 year old try to <laughs> talk about um, whatever the hell. Um, the like you you have to like yeah through satire and through like double meanings or whatever like you like really try to get that point across um so so i yeah i, I would say they're similar in, in that you think a lot about like where the audience is coming from and like what it is you're trying to teach them yeah is there like speaking of narratives are there any specific ones that bug you or you disagree with like incredible very passionately that you try to communicate through your twitter on I disagree with very I don't hmm that I did I I feel like there are and I feel like if someone went to look at it they could figure them out but but I I feel like I I don't like and I try and and this is like a conscious thing like I try to like just not let 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 things I see on Twitter bug me so much that I'm like thinking about them all the time even though I'm sure there are some things that are subconsciously bug me and then I tweet about that that come up in my tweets a lot um I don't even think I mean I feel like this is common amongst like um like those of us um who are 
um what's it called i don't yeah uh but uh okay i'll just say her name i i staff or whatever right you know who she is um but like again i don't think like any like i don't even think she's like diametrically opposed to like what most people say at all. I think she agrees with like m- most of like the dominant narratives or whatever. But I just do, I do feel like, um, like there are dominant narratives and you're not allowed to like move a little bit outside of them. Like everyone, like they, like there's so much group think um, in like, in like the way that people talk on Twitter and, and you don't have to like, yeah, you don't have to like passionately disagree with them. You just say this sounds like it's just not correct, like it's not factually correct, and um, and that alone is like such like a transgressive slight that it's like seen as like kind of a big deal, and and it's seen as like um, as a, what's it and 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 like and it's and it makes for good content, so to speak. But I do feel like on, on the whole, I think about like the tech people who, who like champion these dominant narratives, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of like uh, pretty much in lockstep with, with, a, with a lot of what they say. I just, I just do feel like, I mean, like one of the big ones that I think I was on a tear about recently was like, it's like a uh, scare campaign over like wokeness, like, <laughs> like I mean just like that word wokeness or wokeism is what they say it's like it's like these things is like who, who cares like it, these are these are these are I find these I find a lot of this stuff annoying personally it's like um I mean yeah I mean it's it yeah like yeah and I think it's fine to find that stuff annoying I mean like you have to specify what you mean by that stuff because um what's it called there's a lot of different things but I, I i mean i do understand that people feel like being overly pc might like be just like an annoying like 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 a personal annoyance for them but these people talk about it like it's going to be like the end of our civilization if we like what's it called i mean one, one was like they they made them change the dock for uh company from like moonshot idea or from crazy ideas to moonshot ideas because crazy is seem to be um offensive to people who are like a like ableist right and like yeah i mean okay maybe that's like an overly sensitive who cares just change it the doc where you're writing about like the the, the crazy the, the moonshots of like the amazing things you want to do at your tech company why are you focusing on the title like why why do you care about like why do you why do you care about all this stuff and i feel like these are some of the most powerful people like i generally believe that tech is like one of these last sources of dynamism in the uh, increasingly like sclerotic of like global empire that is america and like tech is like leading the charge of making this country still as powerful as it is today. These people who run these tech companies, the most powerful people in the world, and they're worried about the dock. Like what's the title of the dock? They're worried about like, um, what's it called? What about you all talking about the presidential debate in Slack? Like, <laughs> like, like there's so much more to like, to, to be concerned about. There's so much more to think about. There's so much, um, more valuable things like spend your time like 
like discussing then um like the like wokeism like a word that you made up to describe something in hr that you didn't like um so so that was something that like 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 a lot of like yeah very dominant like a, like a, a lot of people probably tech leaders like talk about this like as if it's real and i just think it's not real i think they're, they're like wasting your time like talking about nonsense um but yeah but again it's just tweets like it's it's not like it's 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 not like i don't know it, it doesn't like i feel like i like like i just think that they like they shouldn't like be concerned about it. but again it's all not like large gulf between like the like I don't I, I don't I don't think it's like a thing that people should be caring so much about. Yeah. I really like especially what you're saying about the sclerotic nature of America. That is that's definitely one of my, my favorite quotes. <laughs> I think the and the idea of technology. Well, I, I what's it called? I stole that, um, to be completely honest, from one of my roommates who's also my house, like where I live is kind of like a, what's it called? Kind of like a you know, the TikTok hype house is kind of like a, what's it called? Like a Twitter hype house. Tech kind of Twitter like hype house. house. Yeah, for like, <laughs> like, man, but like, we're probably like 10,000 there. Um, but he, my friend who's also popular on Twitter, um, uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you could say <laughs> Isaac Wilkes, um, uh, he um he writes a lot of like really good stuff about he's, he's like he like thinks about institutions a lot and he writes a, a lot of really good stuff about um just like um he wrote this, this great say about um like remember mark andreessen's it's time to build mm -hmm. um he wrote this like it's time to build for good um which is this essay about uh like yeah, yes, it's time to build, and, and Mark Andreessen talks about, oh, but we have to transcend politics in order to build, like, 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 what does it really mean to build? Like, you, you want to build society, you want to build infrastructure for people, you want to build um, things that will, like, cause, like, a lasting civilization. You don't just want to build, like, I don't know, um, he calls it, uh, like, Riyadh with, I forget what exactly he calls it, but, but like you don't want just want to build like these nice like cityscapes or whatever. You don't just want to build these nice sculptures or whatever. You want to like like build a place where people want to live, and and that requires like interfacing with politics, and that requires like um like really assuming your role as like a as a or as a like our society and and like push the society forward like that's something i talk with my friends a lot like i i do feel like tech people don't have this um like they don't know how to be powerful in all caps or not in all caps in like camel case how to be powerful like as if it's a book or it's just the title of a blog post like they don't they they've 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 come into this like insane power and um they just happen to be like one of like the, the driving forces of the American economy, but they don't like really know how to like interface with like the political economy in any sense in order to exact their will. Um, and again, a lot of their will I, I don't agree with, but um, but I, I, I do think that like, if you really do want to make the world a better place, it's not just 
giving your money away to charity. It's like really like hunkering down and, and making investments and um, changing the institutions that are causing the problems. Like you complain about the government all the time. The solution isn't really just like defunding the government and just giving it all to charity. So like a billion different NGOs can can like haphazardly fix smaller problems. The solution is actually hunkering down. If you think that you have like this much better way of running society, like actually taking the initiative and actually like thinking about, okay, how do we do it? How do we like get um, elected officials in the positions that we care about in SF, for example, in order to um, build whatever transportation that we talk about all the time. Um, like actually think about doing this instead of complaining about wokeness on Twitter. <laughs> um, that's just you know, you know, one of the things like I, I do think about quite a bit. So to wrap up here, uh, what would you say to listeners uh as a as almost an i i prefer your your twitter satire doublespeak actually a little bit uh to kind of help us use causal inference in our in our day-to-day lives to be able to make better decisions because i feel like at least the way i understand statistics and i understood you know regulation and blogs and the reason that we do this math in the first place is to be more confident that the decision that we're making is is going to be equitable so how can people who are just, you know, doing, doing, doing life daily, whether that's on Twitter, off Twitter, writing, reading, watching YouTube videos, how, how can we use causal inference to become better people? That's, I mean, again, I don't know what better means. <laughs> um, Very causal I, inference I answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, um, what's it called? Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, I mean, I, I, let me talk from the economic context. That's something that I know really well. So, um, I mean, you think about these problems from the perspective of like a social planner or something, or someone who says that um, this is what's better for society. Um, everyone making this much more money is better for society. Um, why? Because we believe they can buy food with it and it makes them happier. But again, like, but again, like, like, the, yeah, like, there's a very, like, moral uh, qualm of, like, what makes the, like, what makes a better society? I don't know, know if you can answer that with, like, a particular mode of statistics, which is all that calls one of this is. But um, once you, once you have figured out what makes society better, or once you have figured out how to quantify, like, like what makes people happy and, and, and what you want to exact on the world and what number you want to go from, make go from here to here. Um, again, for people listening to a higher number, um, then you can use causal inference to think about, um, yeah, what will an intervention do in order to um, change whatever number you believe quantifies um, something that you, you want to go from good to better or from bad to better. Or um, that, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a wishy-washy answer. And, and, and for your question for like everybody, um, I mean, yeah, just read my blog. I mean, I, I, I do think that, and I do hope, um, and maybe it's a nice thing to do, but people, anyone who's like has a job and is contributing to um, anything, right, um, is making someone else's life better, right, by providing a service that they're really good at, they're, they're making whatever, whatever customer's life a little bit better, or if they work in the government, they're making people's lives that, like, 
citizenry lives better or um, in, in a variety of ways. Whenever you're working for someone else, you're, you're making something better for someone else. Um, so um, basically uh, thinking, um, go and read my blog and like thinking about um, how you can use um, sparse data sets, like data sets that might not be very cut and clear for you to like run experiments or for you to like uh, very easily identify what the causal effects of something is in, in order to use causal inference to try to like back solve that out um, will help you make better decisions, which will make, which will help you um, be better at your own job, which will help you um, increase the welfare of everybody around you. Um, yeah. It's pretty profound. I guess we're gonna wrap up here, right, Bram? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ken, it was genuinely an absolute pleasure to have you in the show. Thanks for so much for coming by to the Hacker Lounge. We'll link your Twitter and your blog in the, I don't know what it's called for a podcast, description, show notes. Show, show notes, notes, yeah. notes below. Yeah, thanks so much for coming out, man. All right, yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me.